Thanks for tuning in to Small Big Wings, a window to the world of young, ambitious problem solvers. They are makers, designers, builders, hackers, scientists who heard their inner voice and amplified it. To learn more about our guest and to view the highlights of this episode, head on over to fbw.hvj.coach. Hi, today I'm talking to Vidyadhar Sharma, VD, all of 24, and he calls himself a full stack developer, a master in various computer programming languages and machine learning. Let's hear from VD, his journey, and see how VD can inspire us today. Hi, VD, how are you? Hi, Harsh. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much for uh, joining this. And uh, Vidi, before, yes. we, before we start, you know, I think what I noticed when I was reading about you was uh, something which said, be ashamed to die until you have won some victory for right. humanity. Right. right. Why don't we start with this? Why do you have this? Um, so I think the large crux of it comes from finding meaning uh, in life. I think I, w- I went through a huge existential crisis when I was around 16. And it's, it's kind of prolonged since then. It's a paradoxical question as to why are you alive and things like that. And I think there's no better meaning for life than in service of others. Best way to kind of serve is the best people to kind of serve is all of humanity. So I guess the, the whole intention of that was to kind of do something big enough that the, the generation after us will be uh, better off than we are. Not just, let's say, financially or economically, uh, but in all other means. So like, for example, right now we are reaping the benefits of all of the technology and um, all of the progress that we've been able to do, right? So right now, even when we are going through, let's say, the corona pandemic, etc. Technology is the only thing that's keeping us in. Had it not been for WhatsApp, internet, and then all of the technology, uh, we would not have been able to get through this. We would have gone insane. The goal is to build tools. The goal is to build things that will make everybody's life better. What is the meaning you found? So I think I'm still in a quest for it. Uh, so it, it's not like uh, there's no destination entered because then the question would be why that? Like why serve humanity? Because everything is going to be pointless, right? But I, I think I kind of have figured out uh, why this makes sense, right? So one of the things that I thought about was let's so instead of projecting ourselves forward, let's project ourselves backward and back in time and kind of think through it, right? So probably a couple thousand years ago, we were all hunters and gatherers. And uh, what was uh, the conscious thinking at that point in time for the hunters and gatherers, right? So it's probably just staying alive, right? You're you're looking around, uh, you're you're trying to hunt things and you're trying to survive, right? Survival is your highest level of thought. And probably as time progressed, people figured out that you could be safer when you could be together, right? So you form tribes, uh, you form groups, and then not everybody had to hunt and not everybody had to worry about survival. There are a couple of men in the tribe who would hunt, there are a couple of women who take care of the offsprings, and then, then the entire herd mentality started kicking in, and you could feel more safer. You didn't have to hunt all the time and things like that. And probably a couple hundred years ago or thousand years ago, we figured out agriculture. 
and then we didn't have to hunt all the time we could forage for like couple of months and we could uh, chill and i think that is when people started looking up and started wondering why are we here right at that point so when we were free enough to kind of actually have the time to look up to the stars and then make up stories and we've been doing this for so long period of time and if you look at history then you have people like kepler people like einstein newton uh, like look at the universe and kind of figure out how it works right so the entire question of why are we here what's the purpose is like it's it's a very interesting question because there might be no answer to it but over the years we have kind of figured out more and more about the universe so we kind of figured out that earth is not the center of the world right earth is not the center of the universe and we are uh, revolving around the solar system and then we've looked at other galaxies and our kind of, like scope of consciousness is kind of expanded over the last like couple of decades and a uh, couple of centuries and the only hope is that as we move on with this technological advancement and as we move on uh, move on the line of helping people do better work at whatever this uh, scoping towards the infinity is uh, that we will know better so maybe we will not figure out the meaning of life maybe we will not figure out what the answer to us being here is maybe the future generations will and the goal is to contribute to that quest like in the hope of expanding that conscious and if you think about it like people today still if you look out and there are people who are working on uh, let's say uh, you have construction workers so they are working on daily wages their highest level of consciousness still is uh, survival right so they are working the end from morning to evening uh, looking for the pay at the day and they are going and buying grocery they eat they sleep they come back the days again so they are still at the hunter gatherer conscious level right and there some people have figured out how to move out above that and then where like only few a very small majority of people have uh, figured out self actualization so we are all the people like privileged enough to kind of worry about something else apart from survival and it makes sense for us to be the ones who will kind of expand that conscious right so goal is not to kind of finding find like the absolute meaning of life itself but kind of contribute to that over a period of time i think that that's like something sensible i've been able to make peace with fantastic very profound and we'll come back to this during our conversation i i noticed that you've started something called science panorama at 16 you scaled yep. up to 60000 readers no dollars spent yep. then yes. you worked for a dozen startups when you were in college a dozen startups yeah so yeah. I, now if we have someone who gets a resume with a dozen uh, names on it we say you know go away and then yeah. in pre final engineering you started specbit You right. are just twenty-four. Specbit is like what two years old now? No, about uh, three years officially. Okay. Uh, like yeah, about two years officially and three to four years like since I started working on it. Yes. And then in right. college, you also picked up machine learning. You picked up algorithms. You started doing them yeah. in a completely different, let us say, in something very, very easily and understandable manner. And you taught about three thousand people machine learning. Yes. Yes. So, how do you connect all this to your search for meaning? Okay, uh, that's a good question. So, for example, one of the things that I find is like the only kind of three uh, jobs I think are like very uh, fulfilling and satisfying. Right. One is teaching, being an educator. Second one is being a fitness coach. uh being something in fitness and the third one is being a doctor all of these three things kind of help people 
unlock their potential. And like when I say being an educator, it also involves being, let's say, a career coach, life coach, all of that, right? Not just being a teacher. And the reason is this. So one of the things that I've realized when I was early on in college as well is that people have potential beyond what they believe they are capable of. What does it mean? Right? It means that people don't actually believe they can do certain things because, because of the conditioning they have been part of in their uh, society, in their family, uh, their friends group, the college they went. So all of these things make an immense difference as to where you'll end up in life. Correct. And one of the things I early on realized is that can we actually break this pattern? So that means if you've been part of, let's say a very mediocre, uh, an average uh, background where you went to a mediocre school, uh, you were being part of a normal, happy, satisfied family and everything. And you don't have that ambition to, let's say, uh, make it big and stuff like that, which is a great thing because uh, having ambition doesn't necessarily keep you happy. Right. Uh, so can you unlock people's potential and say that, Hey, you're capable of more. Do you want to like unlock it? Like, how do you do that? And that's where it started. And that's when I also started Specbit, right? So the goal of Specbit was also twofold. One of the things is, uh, as I was talking about the construction workers, their conscious is still at the level of survivor, uh, survivorship thinking, right? So now my goal is like, if we educate people and push them to the boundaries of the consciousness at where we are, right? So now there are very few people who are pushing the boundaries. So let's say they're working at the edge of latest technologies. The goal to accelerate the expansion of this consciousness would be to push more people to the edge. And the way to get more people to the edge is to educate them, bring them up the ladder of thinking critically about a lot of things, correct? And for me, teaching was the way to do it. So what it involves is like, let's say 15 minutes of content and then a lot of questions, a lot of questions that will open your brain up. And then it's, it's very unsettling for people who sit through classes in the beginning uh, because it just shakes them up a lot. Like so many of the people uh, kind of get thrown off by this. It, it's kind of unsettling to ask very deeper questions. Like, for example, why are you doing what you're doing? Uh, is this really adding up? And it kind of brings this down to the thing like, do you know where you're going in life? And most people don't, right? Like most people are just going in the flow, which is fine to be honest. But the moment you ask it kind of throws people off, but it's also the best way to bring people into self-awareness. Like, Hey, I don't know most of the things. Uh, I don't know how to get where I want to get. And I don't even know where I want to get to. And by asking these questions, you kind of make people open up to the immense potential they have. That means, Oh, I need to work harder to understand this. I need to read more. I need to watch more. And then they become open to ideas that they've never thought about. And by, op like by opening people's mind to these ideas, you can kind of help them scale their uh, journey towards a better, you know, consciousness. And that's how I think teaching people kind of helps me like connect it back to the meaning. Right. And uh, it doesn't happen with all the students. Perhaps some students are just happy uh, where they are and which is totally fine. I think if you're optimizing your life for happiness or peace, etc., that's the way to be like, at the end of the day, like, what are you optimizing your life for? I'm optimizing my life to kind of help spread the questions that I have. Sometimes that question is really great for some people. Sometimes it's not, but however, it kind of connects me back to the question of like, how do you bring people? So this all comes back to Maslow's pyramid of needs, right? Like you have uh, uh, like basic physiological needs. Uh, then you have safety and security. Then you have psychological needs. The fourth one is self-confidence and the last one is self-actualization. So the goal is to kind of move people up the pyramid, right? But a lot of the times I realize that there are things outside my control. For example, a lot of people have a very 
a broken uh, like environment so they have broken families uh, so parents are fighting all the time they have broken friendships so they're stuck in the second and third layer so their self confidence is low and they're never going to like hit self actualization like directly so it it's kind of good to kind of coach people on how do you like break those layers up or how do you kind of disregard your broken family or broken friendship to move up the ladder and uh, i think that's what has been um, like kind of fulfilling for me to do right and i i read student stories every day and then like that makes my life worth it a little bit in all of that sense but we how did that spark of getting into algorithms the way you did or okay. or doing the language the way you did how did you was it just something intrinsic or was there an external motivation for that or did you really see a gap and you say that you know why why don't i address this gap how did that part really happen because i think that is what built you and that is what is building right, right. so i think it has to do with lot with of my a uh, lot to do with my first startup so the interesting thing is like my first startup was an accident it wasn't actually like well thought through so we just started a physics blog and then that physics blog somehow turned into a general science blog we started a magazine and it hit 70000 people or like that that bit is an interesting story i i will get to it at some point uh, but we reached 70000 people and i was just 16 and uh, people read it people appreciated it people shared it at that point something hit me like really amazingly so what i realized was that if you bring value to the world the world doesn't care who you are what's your gender where you are from what's your nationality how old you are where you are sitting and doing what the people will just appreciate it that's what happened to me with science 70000 people were the registered readers and we got close to a million hits on our blog and about 100000 readers came to the page where they download the magazine and about 70000 people subscribed and download the magazine and so on and it it was very mind opening for me that oh my god like i was telling myself like who will read it why will they do such and sort of things and like the world reacts to you way differently than you expect it to so then i started becoming really ambitious i'm like okay so what am i telling myself i can't do but then the world will work differently so at that point of time i read steve jobs biography this is about 2012 uh, just when walter isaacson's version of steve jobs had come out and uh, so the entire thing of i want to put a ding in the universe of steve jobs uh philosophy kind of stuck with me at that point of time so then i started reading like voraciously so that's that at that point of time i would have read like close to three or four books in my life entire life at, until that point of time right and after that in next just between 2012 to let's say 2016 i read close to 200 300 books and i read madly and one of the things i read madly uh, the reason was that i was super curious and i realized i don't know anything about the world it kind of broke down my reality uh, in the sense like how good things can break down your reality this is a good example of that like something really good happened in my life but it broke my reality down as to telling you don't know anything you just assuming that the world works a certain way and i read madly and the more i read uh, the more of this existential crisis kicked in so this was the result of it right like uh, the result the existential crisis kicked in because i read a lot and there were a lot of people kind of wondering about the same thing um Aristotle talk about like what is the point of life uh then there are amazing people who spoke about the same things and i figured education is kind of the way to bring uh more uh like meaning to life i think nobody knows the hope is that somebody will figure out right like the, see the, there is a opposite converse question of that like if all these smart people in the history haven't figured out the meaning of life then why are you even bothered uh to figure it out 
right? But the answer is, yeah, they haven't figured it out, but the hope is somebody will just like everything else, right? Uh, so in that way, there was this intrinsic motivation as to like figure out, do better work and uh, kind of get to places. So for me, the studying machine learning algorithms and et cetera, wasn't essentially about machine learning and algorithms. So I know a lot of friends who are really interested in machine learning because of its own potential, which I absolutely agree with. For me, machine learning algorithms or let's say programming, et cetera, is just a means to an end. My means to an end is how can we make people learn better? How can we unlock meaning for people through better learning? So I searched co-founders for SpecBit for a really long period of time. I am a designer. So I'm really good at it. I don't break a sweat doing the design part. I have never taken a design course in my entire life and I'm kind of good at it. So I'm proud of that. Uh, but then I wanted to find somebody who can program the website I wanted to build. Right. So at that point of time in science, Panama, it kind of already had stuck as to like, how can you teach people science better? So the, the goal at science Panama was making science simple enough for laymen to read it and understand it because that time I was in 11th and 12th and I, I was seeing my teachers murder maths and science for people. And so many of the students getting discouraged that, Hey, science is not for me. Maths is not for me. And they're never going to touch it their entire life. I was like such a waste of life because I was like, this is amazing. So because I am watching Richard Feynman lectures on YouTube and my friends are listening to teachers in the classroom and they're getting like all the wrong impression about physics and maths. And I'm like, Hey, this is wrong. This can't happen. And I, and I, I felt like this so much disgust for teachers. Like I, I was wrong at that point of time, but I was like, you, you are actually a criminal for having done this. So that, that's what we were trying to do at Science Panama. We wrote articles that kind of simplified complex topics. And one of the goal was like, uh, can we build an app where people could interactively learn things, right? For example, uh, I wanted to build an application where you have just empty space. The, the, let's say the screen is empty. And then on the right side, you have a panel of planets and then you have things of different masses. So you could just drag and drop sun onto the space and the sun would just hang in there. But let's say the moment you drag and drop earth, the earth would just go and fall into the sun because of gravitational force. Now you could change the rate at which these things would fall into it. You could actually control, let's say gravitational constant, the radius of sun and earth, how far they are. And they kind of observe how these things affect each other. Then you could give, let's say a rotational uh, velocity to it. And then earth would rotate around the sun, but eventually fall around. If you gave too much velocity, earth would like go very far away from sun because the velocity is too much and then finding the right velocity. And that that's how I would introduce, let's say, the idea of gravitation, centripetal force, and things like that, right? Which is much very practical and playing God kind of in the sense of like, if I was God and I, would, I was creating the universe, what would happen? And I, as God, have to work out the mathematics for creating the universe, right? So that, that would have been a great way. At that point of time, I was trying to find people to like build this. And somebody told me you're supposed to learn JavaScript. And I had no clue what JavaScript was to kind of build this. Um, so I searched and searched. I was explaining the idea to people. Then I was explaining the idea of spec bit to people. Nobody got interested. So I'm like, screw it. I wasted almost an year trying to find a co-founder to do this. And I'm like, I'm going to learn programming. This is not going to be hard. And I had spent about six to eight months trying to kind of get hang of uh, to learn programming and biggest problem was which language do you learn? There are like a dozen languages out there, like this JavaScript, Java, Python, this and that. And then I did some rational analysis and like, which is the language of the most upside. I'm like Python, let's pick up Python. I started learning Python and uh, that's how it got started. So for me, it was just like, this is the end. If I have to learn programming to get it done, I learn programming. If I have to learn marketing to get to get that to 
people's hands. I learned marketing. And for example, right now it's Peckbit. We don't have any sales guys or anything, right? So I'm like, we have to sell this to students. We have to sell this to parents. I need to learn sales. So I pick up a couple of sales books. I pick up a couple of sales videos on YouTube. I learn it. I experiment it, go back and forth. So the, the kind of thought process is not that, hey, machine learning is great, or let's say Python is great or this thing. These are all means to an end for the end, which is basically, can we teach people things better? Can we get them excited? And there's this idea of uh, cognitive ecstasy that uh, uh, Aristotle talks about. Like people don't care about uh, spectacle. What people care about is ecstatic understanding. So people want to connect the dots in their head and have their minds blown. People walk in amazing movies because they're expecting their mind to be blown by the kind of things they see. And if you look at it, like the best of the best movies, like become, let's say, uh, hundreds of billions of dollars of earning because they blow the people's minds. And this is what happens when you walk into a Marvel like MCU, right? Like the goal is you're connecting dots over multiple movies. There are character arcs that are going over multiple movies and people love connecting those dots. And the moment they find it, they're like, oh my God, oh my God. And this is possible in education as well. Like, why aren't we doing this in education? Why aren't we helping people connect dots over subjects, over topics, and uh, kind of have that cognitive ecstasy? And that's the goal. So my presentations are kind of animated and they're helping people connect dots. So when I'm teaching machine learning, the goal of teaching machine learning was to help people make sense of math they were learning in 11th and 12th. So a lot of people learn calculus, a lot of people learn statistics, probability, never used it. They're like, I'm never going to use this in my entire life. They kind of given up on it. The moment you introduce machine learning, you say to people like, Hey, this is how all, all of it comes together. You learn linear algebra, you learn calculus, you do optimization using calculus and uh, you're using probability to figure out what the classification of model is doing for and things like that. And people are like, Oh my God, math is more like beautiful than I thought it to be. So which kind of encourages them to go deeper into math and things like that. So that's the intention of doing machine learning uh, and all of that. And eventually it's all kind of coming back together. So now um, more, I call myself a full stack maker rather than a developer, because my goal is now to take an idea to the market. Right. And can I do everything between that? Can I, can I develop it? Can I design it? Can I develop it? Can I market it? Can I sell it to people and I kind of build a business around it? And I figured out like, maybe I'm not a pro at it and I'm all along my way at it. At it. So call, call myself a full stack maker. I think every great businessman is like first a full stack maker before they become, uh, let's say a great entrepreneur who can build companies that can do this. So kind of working my way around it. Vidi, what happened early in your life? that the spirit was unleashed. Was there something different in your growing up? Was there something different at home? Was there something which triggered this? And had it not been there, you would have not been the VD you are. So I, I have thought about this, but there's no like one pivotal moment like that this, this has happened. Like the one pivotal moment that I can actually connect everything back to was the science panorama thing that happened. Mm. Right. So the kind of like making it big suddenly. So the, the, we going from 2000 subscribers to 60,000 subscribers happened in under a month. So we went viral and that's the reason it happened. So that was the point. Apart from that, I think I've had a fairly regular childhood. Uh, I wanted to be a physicist, uh, before I like decided to be an engineer. Uh, but then I don't think anything different. So one thing I think has made a lot of difference in my life is that my father was in a bank and uh, every three years we used to get transferred. Mm -hmm. So uh, every three years I have to make new friends. So I have to, we are going to a new place. I'm going to a new school 
and uh, in that new school you realize there are already groups of people uh, right and everybody already has existing friends so nobody wants you in their group right and how do you like make new friends that's that's something i kind of mastered over the years is like it's it's pretty easy of how you make friends and i got really good with people in that sense of how do you make friends uh, how do you build relationships with people and how do you like crack people uh so i think i got good at that just because i i made i was made uncomfortable every 3 to 5 years uh out of situation and um, and funnily like we went on in that journey also like quite magically in a sense my first schooling was in a place called shikaripura it's 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 a small place it's a small town in karnataka it's near shimoga and that's like probably of the population of couple thousands right like couple 80000 to something of that sort so very small town uh, i i taken my bicycle across the entire town when i was in let's say when i was probably in third standard or second grade right and that's how safe the town was and uh, from there we went to shirsi which is couple lakh population like probably in 2 3 lakhs to 5 to 10 lakhs i guess and that's also was pretty scalable for let's say a 10 year old 11 year old Uh, but not as easily as like shikaripura right but there like people were far better off than the uh, shikaripura and kind of i figured it there and then from shirsi we went to jamnagar gujarat right and uh, in jamnagar was like slightly bigger than shirsi and now one of the things that happened was i didn't know hindi and uh, i was just learning ie in my so in, i was in state syllabus in karnataka and we were just learning let's say like alphabets and stuff here in 6th standard and 7th standard i am in jamnagar where the entire paragraphs were written in hindi i have no clue i flunked my hindi tests in the first couple of weeks uh, right and i had to take sanskrit because there was no other language that i could take uh, so that kind of like made me supremely uncomfortable talking to people uh, so i couldn't figure out uski uska in the beginning right like the ki and ka have gender i i couldn't figure it out and uh, <laughs> there was like kind of a lot of uncomfortability i think this like entire journey like then from jamnagar we came to bangalore which is like a way bigger metropolitan city right so a lot of the times what happens is small towners come directly to let's say bangalore they have a immense exposure and then they lose their way i think mine was a very gradual like growth like smaller city to a little bigger and bigger and bigger and then finally i'm in bangalore um which did not surprise me a lot it surprised me enough to adapt right Uh, but not enough to kind of like shake me off and like put me down so it also helped me grow my confidence so when i came to let's say bangalore i did not feel inferior to any other guys hanging out uh, here because uh, that happens a lot of the time so i see people coming from let's say tier 2 tier 3 cities directly to bangalore and they feel inferior because bangalore kids are cool supposedly uh, so according to that they feel inferior and then that, that self confidence layer is shaken right so they they don't make new friends easily and things like that so that never happened to me so i think i was all prepped up in like the self my family is great like i'm i'm very fortunate i have great friends uh, who love me a lot so my four layers of the maxwell's pyramid like was taken care of when science panorama happened so the only thing for me to do was kind of figure out what next like how am i going to explore other things and that's what happened and uh, my parents have never asked me for better marks my parents have never told do this or do that the only thing my dad ever asked me to do was engineering like do engineering uh, so that was also out of the thing that he he told i told him i want to be a physicist i want to do pure science he said you're going to do pure science only if you get into let's say iis uh, doing pure science any other college in india is like useless so you're not going to do that so i tried kvpi i flunked badly 
so that's when i joined engineering so when i flunked kvpy in 11th standard i lost all hopes to get into iit as well i'm like i'm not going to crack this so all of 12th standard i've just enjoyed madly working on science panorama which is when i did science panorama like the most unlikely time for people to do startup is let's say 10th standard 12th standard like life turning moments but i was working on my startup at 12th standard and i flunked my preparatory in 12th Uh, but somehow managed to kind of get through the exam, get a good decent rank in uh, CET, which is our state uh, entrance exam for engineering colleges. Mm-hmm. So then got into Dan and Sagar. So I think a lot of things that I've come across is largely, despite the things that happened to me, not because of it. Uh, so I think I got influenced by a lot of internet. So I think had it not been for internet, I would have not been here. Uh, I think the thing is like. you say you are the average of the five people you hang out with and things i agree to that largely because you are your you are the result of your environment and my environment was in this screen right like this 14 inch screen where i was hanging out most of the time and i was looking up to people so we had people like neil degras tyson uh, we had uh, amazing people on the internet writing blog posts creating videos uh, i was reading a lot of books online and that kind of influenced me a lot i think i was not a result of my physical friendship Uh, i was a result of my like internet friends uh, so that kind of opened me up so what is the status of uh, science panorama now so it's defunct uh, we've okay. still got uh, the facebook page on which still has about 68000 people mm-hmm. on it mm-hmm. uh, but apart from it so i think uh, our published magazines are still somewhere on the internet uh, okay. but we don't have a site uh, i think we lost the domain a couple of years ago we forgot to renew it somebody else bought it so that's gone but that's pretty much it so like i just carry the works of science panorama in my portfolio uh, that's pretty much what i do nothing yeah, else please, i have we do send over some of those links um, yeah sure just provide them to our listeners and uh, yeah maybe there is some inspiration for uh, them in that so funny thing the fir- the first time i actually explored design was at science panorama So the first magazine I built uh, was using Microsoft Word. So there was something called Open Office Org uh, on Linux, which is an equivalent of Microsoft Word. So that is what I used to create the first magazine. Right, the entire magazine was not built on Illustrator or any Adobe Suite tools. It was built on Open Office Org. It was kind of hacked. I need a background. I'll make that in Picasa. So Picasa was an editing tool at that point of time. So yeah. I edited things on Picasa, put it on Open Office Org, and that's how the magazine. So looking back at it, that version of the magazine looks ugly, but I'm still proud of it. Like it's it, it, it's where we got started. And by the second version of the magazine, I had kind of learned how to do uh, graphic design, uh, picked up Illustrator, Photoshop, and all of these tools. So the second version of the magazine will look way mature than the first version. So I'm going to send the links to both of them. I was looking at your uh, Specbit uh, site, and I saw that you have two kinds of offerings over there. Yeah. One is on uh, machine learning, and the yeah. other one is on a suite of different languages. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would like to start by asking you first. You know, what is the meaning of Specbit? Okay. So. Um, I don't know if you know about this. The Carl Sagan did a video called "The Pale Blue Dot," right? right? And in the pale blue dot, he uh, describes Earth as a speck of dust suspended in the sunbeam. Mm-hmm. So, the word "speck" bit, the speck comes from that. So, where the Earth is a speck of dust suspended in the sunbeam, and we're all bits on that speck of dust. So, essentially, we are all speck bits. So, 
actually spec and bit are synonymous to each other uh, yeah. because both of them say a tiny bit of something right like a tiny part of something both spec and bit mean the same thing so it was just a, a small word play about us and the name of the company is not actually just spec bit it's spec bit exploratories and exploratories stands for explorations and laboratories so my goal was that we are going to build a company which will explore and experiment on human potential exploration right how are we going to going to work on expanding human potential and that's why it was named specbit exploratories the more i talk to you i see how much uh, mystical stuff you bring <laughs> to the conversation and that's very very interesting it's very very profound i don't even have to think what i have to ask you net it just comes on so uh, currently specbit is only offering programs which are in the domain of software yeah that's true yes so do you have a larger vision with specbit do you have a larger vision for education uh yes so so basically what happened with specbit was that uh, when i started the goal was not to build let's say uh, coaching programs uh, mm-hmm. as such the mm-hmm. goal was to build the online platform which still is live mm-hmm. so when i started building the platform i realized i need to raise a little bit of fund to be able to build a team to do this uh so when i started out i spoke to a bunch of people angels etc so when i spoke to them i need let's say x amount of dollars of funding to build this uh, all of these angels told me hey you go build a product you build a prototype and then come back to us and then we'll see so then i'm like fair enough so you need proof of concept etc so i came back i learned programming i learned how to build this all and then i went back to those people so when i went back to these people then they said hey this is all great but we don't know this is an entirely new idea if we don't know if people will like it let's let's see some traction so get some users on board so i came back i i had to learn some marketing uh, i had to get users on board so i failed it in miserably so the first version of specbit i had all of one user which was my friend because i forced him to use it that's it so i had one and the moment he used it i realized i messed it up uh, so the user experience wasn't great and so many other things so i trashed the entire project i'd worked on for 4 months and i started working on a new version of specbit which is the second version of specbit so i worked on it for a month and then i the second version of specbit had about 40 users and then i realized what the problem was and then i worked on the third version which kind of got big so it begin the sense comparatively uh, so i had about 1200 users for the third version of specbit by which time i already graduated college i think the luxury of kind of working on iterations was because i was in college so i'm like what's the worst thing that will happen so if specbit fails i'll go back to class tomorrow it's not really a big deal for me so i graduated college and uh, i kind of had a sense of you know uh, family responsibility so i i felt like i needed to earn at least not for myself at least for the family at least to keep the company going because at this point of time i had server cost domain uh basic bunch of things so you had to pay for let's say email on sendgrid or any of these things uh, luckily like we had aws activated stuff like that and i was making some money teaching on workshops etc so at which point i realized like the easiest way for me to now sustain this and kind of bootstrap my way along until somebody funds me uh is to kind of teach because i was already doing workshops and i was charging for my workshops i was getting paid decent handsomely for it so i said i'll start professional programs so i started my first so we started something called bridge student accelerator program that was what it was named in the beginning and the student accelerator program promised that you could learn in probably weeks what it take you years to learn so that was on the basis of if you do self learning and you want to learn let's say web development uh considering an average person learning web development take you anywhere between 8 to let's say 12 months 
right? Given that you give only few hours a week, kind of you're stuck, etc. So we promised that we will pack it all in a 12-week part-time program. It was not even a full-time 12-week program. It's a part-time program. Weekly, you commit to about six hours of work and then we'll get you there. And that's what we did. So the first batch had around, so the name of the course was Full Stack Maker. Uh, and uh, we had nine people in the first batch. Six of them graduated. And then the second batch had 14. Uh, so by the time we came to third batch, we also introduced machine learning. And uh, I realized something powerful at that point of time. So I could attract people for what they wanted to learn, which is full stack development or machine learning or et cetera. So courses that had real world utility, that means that could fetch them a job, that could fetch them an internship or whatever. Once they come into the course, I could teach them what I want, which is let's say mental models, uh, thinking better, right? And all, introduce them to cognitive biases and all the other things that I wanted to teach. So for me, doing courses that were, let's say, like machine learning, all of that was like, does this have real world utility for people? Does it make sense for them to pay a dollar for it to, for them to join? Great, let them join. And then I will design my course that has all the other things I want to teach. So it was me hacking my way around to teach people. So if I said, I'm teaching a course on cognitive bias and mental models and other things, nobody would come. But I can plug that content into, let's say, machine learning course where I could sit with people and just ask them, uh, who are you? And all of those philosophical questions and people would just sit and listen to me because they paid for it. And uh, so that's how I was hacking my way through. Uh, that's the intention of doing the course. Like, if you ask me why we are we doing, let's say, Python, machine learning, full stack web development or anything, largely it has a good real world utility. People value it. It has good amount of demand. So if I train somebody in, let's say, machine learning or software, getting them a job is like pretty easy. So because there is huge market demand for it, uh, the kind of course we deliver. So this does not in any way mean that we don't do a great job at teaching them the programming language or the full stack or anything. Ooh. Right. So we do. So they are far better than their peers in college. Right. So mo most of our target audience are engineering students. Uh, some of we, we also get some pure science students as well. So they're far ahead of their peers. So when the college placement sets in or when they go out for an internship at some startup, they're already like a really great prospect for the company to hire. Uh, so all our, all our students get placed. And uh, I think that's has contributed to the continuation of the programs. And uh, once I did bootstrapping and I earned enough to run a team, build a team and earn myself, I realized I wouldn't give this up and raise a fund, uh, raise, let's say around and give that freedom up to, let's say angels or VCs, because then I'd have to listen to uh, what they say about how quickly I have to grow and not take my own sweet time to figure things out. So I've created a job for myself where I do design, I do marketing, I do programming, I lead people, I teach. No other job in the world would have let me do all of this. And I don't want to give that freedom up because let's say the, the moment I raise funds, I'll have to build the team. So building the startup would take precedence over, let's say, taking the class, right? right. Then I'd have to hire an educator, somebody who, somebody else will do my job, which is great, like which is fine, but I still want to teach. And I still want to design, I still want to code because it, it lets me have fun at the work. And it, 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 I have the most fun when I connect all the dots, which means take an idea to its execution, right? Not just come up with the idea and then build the team and stuff like that. So then I realized I'm not going to raise any angel or VC. I'm just going to continue bootstrapping. And that's why where we are here. And the larger goal of Specbit was that, can we help people do self-learning? Like this immense amount of content on the internet. Uh, you have no idea which one to choose. The problem of internet today is not the lack of content. It's the excess of it, right? So if you want to, let's say, learn machine learning, you would find close to a hundred plus tutorials that are all good. 
none of them bad, right? And you can get started on them. And the problem is this halfway through, you'll start self doubting. Am I on the right course? Maybe right. I should have taken the other one because this doesn't seem to have that thing they mentioned on the other course and so on and so forth. The idea was what if you'd curate, let's say a learning path for yourself and a learning path for everybody would be different based on where you start. Like for example, a student, let's say a 11th or 12th standard student wants to learn machine learning. I would devise a different plan for him than somebody who's done a PhD perhaps. Right. And we should have that capability today. We don't right. We, we, we're still stuck on like static courses that are not moldable in any sense to kind of help you get to the goal. So the goal today is, let's say you want to reach an end destination, which is, I want to become a machine learning expert. That's the end goal. Let's assume, but the starting point for people is different. They're at different, different places, but the goal is the same. That means the, the gap that is there between that needs to be bridged differently for different people. I need to build a different bridge for everybody to get there. And the goal is that like, can we build a unique curriculum for each student? And that's what the platform is trying to do. So you can build a roadmap for yourself. You can add milestones that you need to hit to get to that end point. And then the actions you need to take. And the platform kind of has a curated approach versus creation approach. So we think that there's immense amount of content already on the internet. So I'm going to curate you a roadmap instead of let's say creating content from scratch, which would encourage more people to come and coach. Right? So if you think about how real world coaching works, so if I'm coaching somebody, I wouldn't create all the content myself, right? Like I would recommend my uh, student to go read this book, read that book and stuff like that. Uh, so demanding people to create content on the internet is just like saying, I will only let you teach in my school. Uh, if you write your own textbook, right? So the internet works like that today. So the internet is like, I'm so the world is crediting you only if you can create your own YouTube channel and upload a bunch of videos, you write a couple of blog posts. So you need to do this ton of things that are not teaching, right? Just, just the process of content creation before you're able to even help one person to get to a point where they succeed, right? How can we lower the entry to barrier there? So I think if we already had a roadmap curated for, let's say machine learning and you know, machine learning, all you had to do is come and say, Hey, I am a machine learning coach. I will use this roadmap to coach you. And a student would come and just pay the coach to coach them on that particular goal. Right. And you pay a monthly subscription to help you get there. And I think we're not on the last part where we are charging people to get coached and then uh, coaches charging money. I think we have to solve the chicken and egg problem there where we have enough number of users. So people come, uh, coaches are interested to come and coach versus also having good enough online coaches or mentors so that many students get interested enough to come and get that thing done for themselves. So the idea of this, uh, like a personalized roadmap for every student is still new. So people can't wrap their head around it. What people want is like a structured course right? Like defined metrics. I want to get from point A to point B. This course helped me do that. Then people are going to go and buy that course. But this entire idea of you tell me where you want to go and where you are, I will devise a unique roadmap for you. That idea is still not permeated the public minds yet. Right. I think it's kind of my responsibility at this point of time to kind of educate more people on it. Uh, let's see where it goes. So that's the goal in the next couple of months in 2020. When you say that you learn with spec bit in weeks, what would otherwise take you an year or more? What yeah. is the key fundamental behind that? Programs that we do are all blended. So we use the tool to kind of teach it, but that's not the only thing we do. So that's the difference between the student accelerator program we do. Uh, the thing is that we use something called as blended learning. So blended learning uses both offline and online delivery to teach. So student comes to our class, let's say every weekend, 
and spends three hours in our offline class where we teach all the foundations, foundational topics that we need to teach. And then they go home and uh, complement that with all the content that's on their roadmap. Right. And they're given a goal. They're given a milestone to finish before they come to the next Sunday. Now, the thing is the advantage of this structured approach is this. So most students have, uh, you know, uh, getting started problem. So there's a new topic. They're too lazy to get started with it. It would help if somebody would walk them through it. And then if they've gotten enough momentum, they'll, they'll work on keeping that momentum rather than just getting started. So the goal every Sunday is to introduce a new topic, build some momentum such that they can go home and work on that. Right. Uh, so this is one thing. Then there are all of the other things that we do based on research. So one of the things that I did when I was starting SpecBit was also read a lot of research papers on, uh, teaching techniques, instruction design. So the entire field of instruction design itself is very alien to, let's say the Indian ecosystem. So the general premise is this, that, uh, instruction design's goal is to make understanding happen by design and not by accident. Today, if you're sitting in a classroom, right. And you understand something the teacher is teaching. It might be because it's just an accident. Like you were able to connect the dots, not because the teacher intended you to like understand it. That is why in a classroom of let's say 30 or 60 people, not everybody understands everything. So you have this huge knowledge gaps that people are sitting on top of, uh, that they don't understand. So now the advantage that we can take with blended learning and roadmaps is that let's say like I first will design my class and activities to do two important things. One is to incite people to get and understand a certain topic. Second thing, or at least surface the knowledge gaps they have. So the moment I'm aware of the knowledge gaps that you have, I can go and redo your roadmap and kind of say that, let's say we are doing machine learning and I'm teaching you linear regression. And when I teach you optimization, you're not able to understand it because your differential calculus is weak. So now I can go and recommend you an article or a video on differential calculus such that you can revise and come back. And now you'll understand linear regression, which you would have never understood, right? What happens in a general classroom setting or a course, somebody has just made a recorded video on linear regression. You watch it, you go back home and that's about it. If you don't understand, you curse yourself for not understanding it. Right. But then the, what is the other thing? The other thing is you sit in a classroom, the teacher teaches linear regression. You keep asking doubts. The teacher isn't bothered why you're not able to understand the topic. And you are not because you have the, you have the knowledge gap. You have no idea why you're not able to understand it. So there's no way we can fix that problem quick enough. So if I can identify knowledge gaps fast enough, and I can do that every week on every session on session basis, a student will be able to make that leap of growth, right? Like the leap of learning much quicker than otherwise, which is why learning by yourself takes a long period of time. Otherwise, right? Like why would it take 12 months for you? Not because the topic is hard, not because like, let's say machine learning is hard or web development is hard. It's largely because people are unaware of what their knowledge gaps are, right? They taught probability and you missed it. Now, what are you going to do about it? Right? So now we have to understand what the knowledge gaps are to be able to help people grow to the level they expect themselves to. And that's why we're kind of able to do things faster than otherwise. That's a great point. Tell me, Vidi, do you have a competition? I think all the general people who are doing all of the training are our general competitors market wise. Right. Right. But nobody is doing the kind of the work that we are doing. So right. nobody is working on blended learning, perhaps nobody is working on accelerated learning or nobody is working on a personalized roadmap for every student. Nobody is doing that in the market. But I think that is not a merit for me to be any better than everybody else. So yeah. at the end of the day, the market will sort itself out and will tell me whether they need personalized learning or not. Like, like that market will figure it out. But nobody in the market is doing currently the things that we're doing. 
a lot of students who have done your programs at SpecBait have got placed in very good companies at yes, positions yes. or as software engineers. So can it be said that had they not done the SpecBit program, right. that placement would have not been possible with the ease with which it happened? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So either of the two cases would have happened, either they would have not gotten placed at all in the first place, or they could have not gotten as good an opportunity they did. Right. So what SpecBit has done is that for the good people, it has helped them scale their opportunities to a much better level. So let's right. say you were going to get placed at 3.5 lakh package out of college. Now right. you are like cracking six to eight lakh packages outside, right? right. For the for the person who did not have any package, who would not have gotten placed at all, you're able to crack a nice job and get placed, right? So it has increased your odds of getting placed. And uh, yeah, so like, I wouldn't say that they wouldn't have gotten a job at all. I would have, I would say that probably they would increase their scale and you know, they would have gotten into much uh, well-defined jobs. So for example, uh, if you're learning, if you're doing engineering for four years, your goal is to kind of get into, let's say development, and things that would engineer, right? So had they not done the course, probably they would have gotten into testing, customer support or things like that. But now they are able to get into more core jobs of software engineering, product development and things like that, which their, their, their intent of joining the course was that, that they get into more core jobs uh, rather than let's say get into customer support or et cetera. It, it wouldn't make sense uh, as an engineer to get into other jobs because like you have no advantage of doing four years of engineering and customer support, right? Probably you, you would, it would have been better off doing something else. I think what I can tell you as a compliment sitting down with you here is that there is one thing which you mention on your, on your website, which is the first principle is that you must not fool yourself and you are the easiest person to fool. Richard Feynman, am I right? Yes. Yes, yes. that's correct. That's correct. And what I hear from you is exactly this and what I hear from you and some of the other people I'm talking to, one commonality between all of you I find is walk the talk. And right. that is what is generally not happening, or at least maybe a lot of us haven't done it, but we see that more and more youngsters who are following their passion, who are following their heart, who are finding that intersection of passion, skill and opportunity are doing it and are doing it very, very well. So a lot of compliments to you on that. Thank you. Thank you, Hush. What is for you, what is the difference between education and literacy? Hmm. So I think like, so first of all, like we'll have to kind of uh, define what's the difference between education and learning, right? Okay. And do we need education at all uh, if people can learn without education, right? So a lot of people say they don't need schools, like we're better off without schools, we're better off without, you know, structured education system as such, etc. But I disagree, right? I think structured education is important. You need to go to schools, you need to go to colleges. I do agree that the colleges and schools need to evolve, but I would disagree that they should not exist at all in the first place. If billions of people across the world have gone through the education system and turned out just fine, so can we give education system the credit for it or not? Are you saying that these people turned out so despite it and not because of it? And whenever that argument is made, they make arguments about the successful people who I think are usually the exceptions. The education system is not designed to make, let's say, exceptional people, right? It's designed to make sure that any median person in the society can get by their life, like 
fairly better than they otherwise have would have without education so now given that people are always talking about finding the potential finding the passion for every per- single person but people don't have a very good enough definition for passion if you ask what does passion mean to you people will give you vague answers what is your passion i am taking the word passion very literally if you look at the word passion the root word of passion is actually suffering in latin and uh, passion is not something that you love doing and then you're amazingly happy passion is something that you're ready to suffer for so that's what passion is and and a lot of people misunderstand it so if you let's say amitabh bachchan or shahrukh khan are passionate about acting and i can define that through suffering because they suffered a lot before they were successful they were ready to put in that suffering before they were successful and a lot of people look at it the other way where they're saying i am passionate about this thing because i love doing it no you might not love doing something in the beginning and you might suffer a lot for it and the definition of passion will make a lot of difference for people and i think that makes a lot of difference in either pursuing something or giving something up right uh, so a lot of people say education should let everybody pursue their own passion uh, which is again like a very vague thing because people don't understand what their passions are and passions are fleeting that means i could be passionate about acting between age x to y and then be passionate about something else between certain age right and i and this is a very important thing so then what should education optimize for because maybe when you just joined the school you were passionate about dancing but by the time you graduated you're passionate about calculus right and how did school optimize so the goal of education is to create i think a common foundation an equal opportunity not an equal outcome which is what people also again misunderstand is the difference between equal outcome and equal opportunity so what schools and education system is ensuring that everybody knows a bare minimum of the same thing right uh, now what you make out of it is your individual work which gives some space for everybody to succeed differently than otherwise so education is doing the same thing that let's say specbit is doing education is actually compressing a lot of learning that would have otherwise happened over your lifetime just to give you an example you would have never studied about geography had it not been for education because you would never use geography in your everyday life like why would you look where is united states what the population of united states is or russia is or china is because you are living in a small city in india and it would never make sense for you to study geography had it not been for education and it would not make sense for you to study civics or let's say study constitution of india because it doesn't it is not necessary in your everyday life correct so there are so many other things that education kind of gives us the privilege of knowing which otherwise would not have happened right so now the other question comes to what is literacy i think literacy is something that's again floating like every country can define it differently every organization can define it differently so when you define literacy as being able to make a signature a lot of people are literates but let's say we define literacy as having enough awareness to choose your own uh, let's say representatives in lok sabha or rajya sabha then i wouldn't i would be surprised that we have very low literacy right because we are not choosing our representative based on facts uh, we are getting swayed by the politics we are getting swayed by popular opinion and things like that so like if you think about it literacy is largely dependent on how you define it right like you can change the data you can play with the data by defining literacy at a much lower level than higher level so that's again like up for debate as to what literacy should be i think it's a different question of its own uh, but learning however i think will happen whether somebody is literate or not so just just to give you an example so now so many people say that uh, to be part of the lok sabha rajya sabha to be a representative you need to have a bare minimum of education 
correct but to be to be honest like i don't think you need a minimum bare minimum of education to serve people you are after all a representative right but there are downsides of it which we are seeing every day in the parliament but there are upside of it that means if i am a really empathetic person and i know about my village or my town or my constituency much better than an educated person can i not represent them in the parliament i can and i should be able to which is what the constitution is allowing us to do right so it's 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 a very debatable thing whether people learn without education or not they do they they it's not even debatable it's it's for sure that they learn uh, but what and how much can be ensured through education i think having a structured curriculum having a structured process is actually good enough but there are downsides for the current system which i think we'll get over like the so i spoke to a couple of people in the system as well and when i speak to them i realized that they are also aware right they have kids and children who are part of the same system and uh, they are also as concerned about the system as we are except they're responsible for a million people right like millions and millions of children hundreds of millions of students so now let's say cbse comes out with a new curriculum tomorrow uh, hundreds of millions of students are going to get affected by it positively or negatively we don't know and the fear is this the fear is i make a mis- i make a change and then i mess up something that was perfectly fine before and the problem of it is that like i implemented all across the world i think another challenge in india rather than other countries is that we have a hugely diverse uh let's say student backgrounds and teachers and everything so a single system uh that can be implemented across the country is not possible so i think people across the state people across every district will have to come up with some kind of uh you know like the lokpal version of education right like the self governance kind of education like which we had like people will have to figure out what's important for them and kind of build curriculums and things and then based on the country's version of literacy we have to make sure that everybody across the country can have the same basic bare minimum knowledge of everything right yeah. apart from that we should be able to remix it yeah very interesting and and i think at a at a you know micro level that is what you have started in specbit yes yes so specbit is kind of the tool which will let you do that right okay. now nice. even if you ask people to do that they have no idea of okay. how you would be able yeah. to do that so the vision of specbit is that it would eventually be used by educators to kind of cater to every single student need right and the larger vision is specbit itself would become the library of content across the internet such that you want to study psychology you want to study design you want to study anything you would have content on specbit that i can pull and curate for you you talk about the fact that you know we need to be emotionally invested in people and that is right. what you do at specbit also right now in this let us say new world order which is developing where probably right. i think you know though there are no official uh, rules about this so far but we know that we have to do more and more things being away and being less and less together right right so, how are you going to cope up with this have you had any thoughts running in your running in your heart now that how you are going to manage this now so i think the larger problem is not staying away i think uh, like things like zoom things like calls video calls whatsapp can help you still stay connected to people i think caring does not come because you hang out physically with each other i think so the basic emotions can come across across the screen across voice and things like that 
So when I say you need to be emotionally invested in somebody does not mean that you become extremely sad when somebody, you know, loses or fails. It just means that you need to care really for the students or the people who you are working for. Like just to give you an example, I was talking to a student um, the other day and she wanted to go through the data science program that we had. Like, so we had a course called hacking data science a couple quarters back and she'd come with a father to the program. And I had had a nice 10, 15 minutes conversation with her dad and they went back and they jo- she joined the course, right? The course was three months long. At the end of the course, I was speaking to her. And when I was speaking to her, I realized, uh, so, so many, so what was the point of her dad coming and meeting me? So she had pr- supposedly had an entire conversation at home about joining the course. And her dad was very particular that, no, no, you do it online. It's way cheaper and stuff like that. You can learn it online and things like that. And he had brought her to kind of prove the point that you don't have to come to spec bed to do it. Right. And after having come and having spoken to me, he realized that spec would be a way better of like a choice for his daughter. And then he went back home. Now, another thing that she also told me, it surprised me a lot at that point of time, it was end of the month. At that point of time, spec bit had, uh, you had to pay the fees in one entire, like one installment. Right. Right. And he'd run out of the salary. So regular middle-class family, and he had to borrow money to enroll her into the course, right? So he borrowed money from somebody else and put her into the course. Now, when I realized this, it kind of made me very humbled at one point, And then secondly, extremely responsible for their futures, right? First thing is that somebody is investing a lot and trusting you uh, with their child. They, they're paying a huge sum of money and they're saying, I trust you that they, you will actually guide them through this to get them to a point where you promise them to. And second thing, they're putting a personal stake, right? It, it's, it's, I think when somebody goes and asks out uh, a loan from their friend or family to just pay fees, right? I think it's a huge validation of how much amount of trust they put in you. And it brings kind of immense amount of responsibility for me to kind of make their all time and the emotional investment they put in of going and asking somebody else money and coming and talking down and putting the trust in me. Right. So this is one way to look at it. The other way, this is another student who actually wanted to do medical right after her 12th standard, she wrote neat, uh, but her parents did not agree for her to go to medical. So ended up joining engineering. So she wrote neat again at the end of first year engineering. She did not tell her parents and she cracked it again. Right. And rest again, they did not let her join uh, the medical. Right. She cracked it. Right. Now, how depressing is it for you to be able to want to do something so badly and you crack it? It's another story if you were not able to crack it, but she was able to crack it. And uh, by the end of second year engineering, she was kind of depressed about it, like low on energy, etc. And some of her friends suggested her to come and do the machine learning course at SpecBit, at which point she thought engineering is not for her. She, she, so she was doing computer science in one of the colleges in Bangalore. And she thought computer science is not for her, coding is not for her, etc. She came to SpecBit and she was hanging out with other computer science students. And she learned Python, she learned machine learning. And within a few weeks, you could see her, you know, uh, flower out and be very happy because now she was feeling more accomplished about what she was doing. So she thought always of herself as a medical student, somebody of a biology background in 12th, and she couldn't do computer science well. And so at SpecBit, she was hanging out with all computer science students from other colleges, and she was better than them. She was smarter than them. She was able to get things done faster. So she felt extremely accomplished. And within three months, I think she kind of was able to walk out of depression that she had. And 
be much more confident about who she was right now she's working in a really good company making way more than her friends and peers in a college and she's doing something she did not even imagine 2 years ago so i'm saying this was possible because we took care of that student we were able to kind of emotionally cater to their needs i'm like so if i was just let's say teaching and i'm saying my job is to only teach machine learning and go uh, i probably think it wouldn't have helped that much so like i think there are like two or three teachers in my life i will never forget who took 15 minutes of their time in like let's say in the tea break or lunch break etc and spoke to me and it changed my life like had it not been for them so i remember in fifth standard i was so naughty uh, in the class and we had a teacher called milagrantellis ma'am i was i was studying in a convent and uh, she had taken 15 minutes of her time to kind of walk me through something and it changed my life had, had it not been for her i would have been such a criminal today uh, i don't know right <laughs> so it changed my life and i think there have been teachers since then also who have kind of taken time so and i always find this as a responsibility of mine that whatever student needs me i need to at least take out 10 to 15 minutes of my time and talk to them which is why as a system we have implemented something called as office hours where i spend 30 minutes talking to every single student who joins specpit academy with no like whether you want it or not i will talk to you in that 30 minutes you can choose to talk to me about anything you like and uh, for whatever reason i don't know students feel comfortable enough to talk about the most personal things they would have never spoken to anybody their friends and their family right so i talk to this girl who has family problem she knows that her dad is cheating on her mom and she doesn't know what to do about it now how do you deal with this thing how do you expect that girl to kind of focus on curriculum when such things are happening at home so i'm saying we need a lot more of this we need to cater to people's needs before we can actually look at people as human resource let's say and like we need to look at look at people as people and then it's not just a sum of skills and resume that makes up people it's all their experience and how she was dealing with this now i can i can actually have i actually have immense respect for that girl because she was dealing with so much at home and she was still able to kind of go through the curriculum do a good job at it and graduate i'm saying even if you do fairly well that's that's a great achievement for me because the other student who did really let's say top of the class had a great environment at home his mom and dad were like serving him coffee at the table and stowing and so, so doing so on and so forth while this kid was struggling mentally uh, and physically with fights at home and things like that so i suppose this is something that i am not sure how to scale right this is um, so my problem is not how will i be able to do this in a time where we are further apart i can still have get on a call and talk to you about all of this but i'm not sure how do we have more people who can cater to everybody and give somebody 30 minutes like i don't have all day to keep talking to everybody and do this uh like as my class grows from 60 to 100 to 120 i think there's a lot of hours to put into every single student so then we are going to need counselors who are going to be doing this right uh but i'm not sure like how to structure this i'm not i'm not a certified counselor or anything i just talk to my students on a call and i kind of help them uh do a better job at dealing with the things yeah, i mean but I, how do we do how to scale this yeah i think it it's a very valid uh, question and i personally think that more than having a certification for counseling or coaching i think it is that innateness which you require for that it is that ability right. to bring right. personal chemistry personal and genuine chemistry to a conversation right uh, which True. is important and i think i think you know that has to become somewhere a part of our curriculum True. Uh, with examples with uh, 
plays with role modeling it has somewhere to yes. become a part of a curriculum if we are thinking that it should be scaled that's my two bits on that yes i think like first that's what i mean by actually being emotionally invested right right like if you're not emotionally invested as you can't care for anybody yeah like, it's not possible yeah so vidi uh, if it's fair to say that uh, you know steve jobs has been a major influencer in your life yes he has been yeah he's not the only one though yeah. yeah but yeah a major one like one of the pivotal moments was him but then later i kind of uh, like i had to undo a lot of things that i picked up from steve jobs right okay so uh you can't be an asshole to people and like build things like you can't like i think steve jobs could afford that because of the early success he had right, right. you can't like so basically like you can't deal with the attitude of like putting down people if you think they're wasting your time you have to figure out a much more you know uh like nuanced way of dealing with people which i kind of picked up from other people like for example dale carnegie right so i i got influenced by dale carnegie as well like when you read how to win friends and influence people or the other of his works you realize people are much simpler than they are you just have to figure out how to deal with them so there is this idea of a board of mentors that you create so you don't get inspired by one person right the problem with getting inspired by one person is that you kind of inculcate all of their features go both good and bad the way to kind of lead life is to create like a board of mentors right uh, to say like who are sitting at your board you have steve jobs you have dale carnegie you have musk you have bezos uh, you have neil degrasse tyson you have richard feynman and you have all of these people and the way you kind of build this board of mentor is to read a lot about all of these people right and kind of internalize the way they think because when you read a lot about somebody you can internalize the way they think and in different situations you kind of pick up things from different people you don't just pick up things if you always ask yourself what would have steve jobs done in this scenario you would be wrong that you can't deal with life like better like in different situation you would pick different people like let's say tomorrow i would go and give a public speech i would not ask let's say bezos or musk i would ask, ask probably steve jobs and carnegie right about how to do it and if i was talking about thinking about something science and how to break down problems and things like that i would ask feynman and musk and not steve jobs because those people were much uh, they believed in the like you know the work of art rather than the work of science i am a much more person of a work of science than art right like, like i believe there is a good combination of it so you have to kind of figure out who sits at your board and Tell who advises you you know talking about science and art you said you are much more a person of science than of art yeah and even the most technology in the world we call it right. as state of the art right right so so, so I, i think the reason why that uh, why they say they say that uh, is because usually you look at art as something that's only a single piece like that's unique right and when you say something is state of the art it's they're saying it's state of the art because nobody else has done it nobody else has figured it out so when you say uh, say spacex has state of the art rockets that can self land and things like that that's because mm-hmm. nobody else in the world have figured out that piece of technology yet and the moment people figure it out it's no longer state of the art isn't it but then that's a terminology which is being used for all things figured out yeah <laughs> yeah i think the world is very nice in that sense i love the world for that because things can permeate from one field to another field and yeah. you pick up things yeah. right like there's a great book that you uh, i i recommend uh, the listeners to read is metaphors we live by 
right. and in which you kind of outline all the metaphors we use without even being aware of it like we we say i invested my time in this as if time is something we can invest like in you invest money not time so we have a lot of metaphors about time like i spent x hours on this you can't spend time right uh on things but we use money as a metaphor for time to kind of talk about it so there are so many metaphors we live across we will kind of open up your head around oh my god like i have just picked up on metaphors that i don't even haven't even thought about so that's a great book to actually read give me give me another example so the other example is like um his counter attack to her argument okay was splendid and it kind of um let's say it 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 destroyed her argument right i'm saying you're talking about words as if it's war right a debate is no less than a war because you're talking about words like you can't counter attack with words you speak words right and attack is something that's very physical right you're talking about words as if they were actually something physical so that's another metaphor that we live with right so like so when somebody says something you say don't attack me i'm like how can somebody attack with words because that's a metaphor we have come to learn over a period of time that words can also be something that you can attack people with and things like that right so uh, so another good example uh, would be light i feel light now what do you mean by i feel light right so you're saying that is your physical self light or you're saying that you're feeling bright because of the light light or are you feeling that you're feeling let's say light as a weightlessness light or things like that so we use different words as a metaphor for different things under different contexts uh so we are surrounded with these metaphors and if we if we study these metaphors we understand that people don't usually understand these metaphors and that's usually some of the problems you have when you misunderstand people excellent excellent um i want to close this conversation this podcast with you with one last question you sure. talked about as you started you talked about a prolonged existential crisis yeah and uh given that prolonged existential crisis uh maybe if you could talk a little bit about that and do you think really it closes down at some point in time or it always stays and fear of failure okay so i don't think i have fear of failure as such because um in a sense yeah i'm afraid afraid to fail at the things i'm working on but i I've, i've looked at the worst case scenario and the worst case scenario is no different than the current scenario so i live with my parents i have a roof over my head i have all three meals a day i enjoy great time with my friends and my family my friends are like one hell of a people to hang out with right let's say tomorrow specbit fails i'm not losing any of this and let's say specbit succeeds i'm still not losing any of this so my current state of life is not going to change either way i succeed or fail so i know my constants in life right and to be happy and to be he- like at peace you need to figure out what these constants are and like cater to these things right so i don't have a sense of failure like that's what that's why i think i started while in college i was not afraid to start so many of the people in college always feel like this is not the right time to start i should probably work for somebody else for a few years and then start and stuff like that because they're afraid to fail they think what if i start and i don't know things and i fail my answer to that is like you're never going to know everything about something so you're always going to kind of fail and i think it's fine it's just a learning right and 
So now if you weigh SpecBed on the general scale of startups in the world, I've already spent three years and my revenues are not at par and my team is not at par and everything is not at par with any general startup metrics. So by that definition, SpecBed has already failed, right? So has it failed for me? Probably not because I'm still working on that idea. So that thing comes from, for me, from again, Darwin, this is the goodness of board of mentors. If you measured your success by their metrics, you would have failed already. But then my metric also comes from, let's say Charles Darwin. Darwin worked on the theory of evolution for a long period of time. And even when he had figured out the theory of evolution, he worked eight years as a geologist as a practice because he worried that people wouldn't take his work seriously if he put it, he published it right then. So he discovered the theory of evolution. Then he waited eight years to publish it. And the reason why he waited eight years to publish it because he thought people wouldn't take him seriously because he had no degree or anything. So he had to practice being a geologist and do the works and publish other papers so that people would take him seriously after he published the theory of evolution. If you look at the way Darwin also discovered the theory of evolution was also a hunch. He thought that like, like animals were related some or the other way. And it was a hunch. It was an idea. Same holds true for Einstein as well. So he just followed a question, uh, a hunch that this is way different than the way people think it is. And I think you need courage to follow a hunch in the sense that do you believe in yourself? Do you have that intuition to kind of say, this is taking me somewhere and it's fine if money is not coming along and people are not coming along and things like that for now, maybe it will eventually add up and you don't know. And that's where I talk about like not having fear of failure. And uh, I think the first part of your question was, what was the first part of your question? I lost it. No, I was talking about the prolonged existential crisis and do you think it yeah. ever ends? I, I, I don't think it has a like a like singular answer to it, right? Uh, so I kind of make come to make peace with it. Like for example, uh, you, if you have, if you're asking about the meaning of life, you should actually ask what meaning itself is. Like it's a good question to ask and you realize the meaning of things come from its relationships with other things, right? That's something that I picked up from Alan Watts. So he says, let's say, would you have felt, uh, let's say something is hard. Like if, would you feel a stone is hard if your skin wasn't soft, mm. right? Hmm. And would you have felt the brightness of the sun if you couldn't see? Would you make sense of light and darkness if you couldn't see, right? Would you feel heavy or light if had it not been your sense of gravity and things like that? So if you think about it, the meaning of things comes from its relationship with other things. There is no absolute meaning for things, right? Which means the meaning you have out of life and the meaning I have out of life is largely dependent on my relationship with what I have around me and what relationships you have around yourself. So the meaning I derive out of my life will be largely dependent on the relationships I build with people, with things, with the goals I have and the people I look up to. All of these things are contributing to the meaning of life, right? And then you can have the meaning of life also comes from having purpose. That means what am I contributing my life to? Let's say, for example, today I'm contributing my life to uh, the purpose of life right now for me is to kind of build a tool that will help people have a personalized learning right? That's probably, I am going to invest a couple of years into that and see, but it's also, would, it also would be wrong if I invested all my, let's say couple of decades in just that one thing. I think I am more than that, right? Like, and people are more than that. So you don't have to dedicate all your life on something when you pick up a purpose. So this is another thing. So people have a hard time picking a purpose because they think they'll have to stick with it for their entire life. 
my version of it, like you don't have to, you can pick a purpose for your life for the next five years. You can do something and then move on to something else. After that five years, you can decide to do something else. Right. And I think that is something that has left, let me to make peace with the existential crisis in the sense that the meaning of life is not constant. It's changing and it's changing with the relationships that you have in your life. And it's fine. Maybe at 40, I just want to chill with my children, right? Maybe at 60, I want to do something else. But right now I can work hard because I have all the energy that I can. So I can now pick up hard problems to work on uh, that, like, uh, that I can't probably later, right? So this is, this, this is another thing, like, despite fear of failure, people should start startups early when they're youngest because they have no responsibility otherwise, right? Because I, I thought about it, like, say, should I work for, let's say, five, six years for another company and start a startup, let's say, 28, 30, 35, 40, something like that. And my answer has been, like, if you're not financially secure, having a family doesn't help start, you, start a startup. And uh, starting a startup has not been mentally uh, satisfying because it's stressful. It's insanely stressful. You get worked up all night. You get like, the stress is real, right? So I probably wouldn't have been able to do this at 28, 29, let's say when I have a wife at 35, when I have a kid, right? Uh, when I have to cater to their emotional needs as well. Right now, I just have to take care of myself and I can do that, right? When, with all the stress, I just need to take care of myself. At probably at 35, 40, I need to take care of my parents who have been growing old. Right? I need to take care of my children who are just growing up. I can't sacrifice their old age and their, the, you know, like the age of adulting or growing up or uh, all of that because I am stressed. I think you also have a responsibility as a family person to take care of other things as well. So people can disagree with it, but I think the earlier you start, it's better. There's other version of this also. Like you start early, you make a ton of money and then you don't have to be worried about financial uh, independence and things like that. So I think people think of starting a startup as only financial independence. Like when you have financial independence, you can start a startup. But I think the stress of starting startup is not just not financial. Like it's, 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 there are a lot of other things also. So like people just want to sort themselves financially before they start a startup. I'm saying it will help to a large extent, but it will not take away all your worries and all the problems that a startup will bring to you. Probably starting as early as possible is a good thing, but it can also lead to problems. So you got to think about it. I'm going to ask you the last question for today. And that is that what you recommend, particularly the younger lot, on what okay. are the few books, maybe three or five, which they should necessarily read to okay. get more sortedness, let us say. Okay. Mm. I think one book they should definitely read is Surely you're joking, Mr. Feynman, uh, by Richard Feynman himself. It's basically a collection of short stories from his life. Okay. And uh, it'll kind of build a sense of experimentativeness in your life as to how you can look at life as small experiments and you should not be afraid to try new things. Even though Feynman was a physicist, he did a lot of other interesting things. right? Mm -hmm. And he tells them through stories. And the book is a hell lot of interesting because it is through stories. You might feel like Feynman is very pompous talking about his own life, but I feel it's really interesting to kind of go through it. Right. So that's one book for sure that people should read. Uh, the other book I think is a collection of short stories. Again, it's, it's called how full is your cup by JM Sampath. Okay. It's a very bo uh, small book. I actually won it as a prize uh, for one of the competition that happened at school. And it's not something that's very popular amongst people. It's just, there's just one snippet of 
story every page. And that's about it. There are about 60 stories in that book. I don't know if it's still in publication or not. It's, it's amazing uh, book. Um, then this is a hard thing because there are so many good books to recommend. <laughs> Uh, like probably three to five is like a hard bunch. I think people should read biographies uh, in whatever field they're interested in. So for example, I was interested in business and physics. So I read uh, Walter Isaacson's biography of Einstein and Steve Jobs. Those are great, great, great books. But if you're interested in something else, you can read that as well. Right. Uh, like probably you could read uh, Benjamin Franklin or something else. But I think, reading in general should not be done based on people's recommendation. Uh, this is another thing I have is because in principle, you will not be interested in reading those things until and unless they are relevant in that point of time in your life. That means let's say I'd read Steve jobs a lot earlier than otherwise I would have not been interested in Steve jobs. The reason I was re interested in Steve jobs at the point of time, because Steve jobs had just passed away. Everybody was talking about Steve jobs and I was not at all like a Steve jobs fan before I read the biography per se right i had never known steve jobs before he died this is the truth of the matter i only learned about him after his death and after i read the biography and what he had done with apple and my sense of respect for apple grew at that point of time because of the new things that they were releasing at that point of time the new ipad had come in 2012 2013 the new iphone 4 had been released and things like that and i was like amazing this is like a work of magic in products state of the art uh, right and uh, that kind of sense kind of built my interest in reading about Steve Jobs more. So now you have to figure out what you're interested in your life at that point of time to read more about it. So I read different things at different points. So recently I was reading about uh, reading a book called uh, Untethered Soul. And the book is about uh, talking about your identity. Like who are you? How do you make peace with it? What are your feedback signals in your life? And different books will make different sense to you. Same books will make different sense to you at different points of time in your life. So like, I think giving blank recommendations wouldn't help. So I think what you'll need to figure out is like, I can give a mental model. So that's, I think a good way to do it. So I think I buy a lot of books, right? So actually my bookcases behind me are actually like full of books. And the way I look at books is I don't necessarily buy books to read it right then and there. I, I buy books whenever I find a recommendation. I think this might be helpful at this point of time in my life. So I buy it and keep it. Whenever I buy it, I will skim through it. I will look at the contents of that book. I look at the index and I'll kind of index it in my head. Okay. This book is about this. When that part of time in my life comes, when that book is relevant, I will open and read it. I really like something which I had read once that the value of unread books on your shelf is much higher right. than the value of the books which you have read. Correct. Correct. Look at the bookshelf as a toolkit. Like you have a screwdriver, like you have a yeah. bunch of screws, etc. You don't buy the toolkit because you're going to use it now. You don't use the drilling machine all the time in your house. You're buying the drilling machine and the toolkit and all the, you know, screws and screwdrivers, etc. Because at some point you're going to need to drill a hole in your house and you're going to need it. And you can't go out buying that book at that point of time or buying that drilling site at that point of time. You, you don't know when you're going to need it. So I look at books like that. I look at it like a toolkit. Every book has some value to give you figure out what each book, each value is in that book, but you can do a bit of Googling and research and look at what the book contains, right? and purchase it and keep it. There's no better investment in, in my life. Let's say apart from my laptop uh, and my phone is like a bunch of books because like the laptop and my phone help me connect to the internet, right? Like that's the major point of it. Uh, but apart from that books, it is right. Because I've never, so even the bad books have kind of contributed something positive in my life. So 
I think the general idea is instead of three to five books, the general advice for let's say young readers to build fortitude is to figure out what books to read and read a lot because the way to figure out what to read and what to not to read is to read a lot and be fine with not finishing books. You can pick up a book, read 10 pages and you can be like, this sucks. You can put it away. The goal is not to finish books. I don't finish all my books, right? I keep reading and then putting it away and that's fine because some things are not always useful in the context that you're in. Fantastic. What a pleasure it has been to have this very meaningful conversation with you. And I'm going to hook up again with you in the coming times and speak separately with you on uh, design and design thinking. That's a very yes, interesting absolutely. subject. And I see that you are very deeply involved in that uh, from your heart. So I think we will bring up that uh, on, uh, on, sure on thing, some huh? other occasion and it could be very helpful to others. And uh, in the meantime, yeah. have a great one. Thank you once again for sparing your time. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Wonderful conversation.